Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. What a crazy last few weeks we've had, everybody. Um, We have had huge announcements out of the government. We have passed almost a trillion dollar Inflation Reduction Act. Um, We have had announcement of student loan debt forgiveness or repayments. And today the Fed spoke on inflation and the Dow cratered a thousand points. Now, the economic outlook may seem rather complicated and there's lots of things going on, but it's actually fairly simple. Now, we want to break it down and you need to understand how to make decisions within this type of environment. And I kind of have a framework in which we're going to go about it. There's a lot of noise out there, a lot of noise. There's headlines, there's opinions on everything, and most of them are coming from political pundits that are trying to spin something some way. I just care about economic effect, what's actually happening and what that will result because I want to put my money to work and I want it to grow. I don't want to lose it. So I really need to just understand the reality of the situation. Now, first of all, like everything with humans, economics is predicated on incentives. And when you look at how the economy works and how the Fed works with the overarching economy and how we interact on a product transaction basis, right, to even large scale, it's all set up on a system that is based on incentives. That's why money moves from one place to another. The government is fundamental in laying down the incentives of the economy. And by laying down those incentives, they will shift dramatically money around through taxes and other measures. But no one is more critical than the Fed. Why? Because the Fed pretty much places the price of money or it controls the money supply. So the Fed's job is to look at the economy and control the money supply. Now, that has wrecked havoc on our economy for the last four or five months. And this is directly a result for the massive increase in government spending and printing over the last two years. Now, you can talk about all sorts of other things that, yes, are causing problems, um, supply chains, but that's not why we have inflation. We do not have inflation because you can't get all the goods that you want. We have inflation because the money supply increased at over 30%. That's how we have inflation. It's not like this is new and it's not like this is unknown. And as the Fed announced today, it is their only job. Their one singular purpose is to stop inflation. In fact, they even recognized this is going to suck. They announced that they understand this is going to hurt businesses. This is going to hurt individuals and families. They understand that it's not going to be fun. This is going to be rough, but they're not coming off it. They're going full on, which I actually loved the way that Powell talked about this. And as he started out, he spoke about 
how previous statements were large, wide brushes that talked about a lot of things. But he said, you know, I'm really going to just kind of tell it how it is. I suggest everyone goes and watches it. It's only like 10 minutes. Um, and he was very direct. Uh, he funnily did not mention the fact that we have inflation because of the Fed's actions, which I always find that interesting, but it is what it is. Of course, they don't want to say that in the same breath that they say, you know, so remember how a year ago we printed the most money that the world has ever seen and the largest increase in mon money supply the world has ever seen. So now we have to crater the economy and lift interest rates up. So why do they do these things and why do they have to? That's what most people don't understand. Why did the Fed print money? And then why are they raising interest rates and wrecking havoc on the economy. This has happened before. So first of all, the reason why they printed money was they were stimulating the economy in an era of COVID. They shut down, the government shut down the economy. The Fed tried to make sure that the economy could survive. So between the government printing money and sending money all over the place and the Fed dropping interest rates to historic lows, as well as other tools that they have at their disposal, they just whitewashed the economy in capital. Why? Because as capital goes into the economy, you drive down the price of dollars, you increase demand, you increase demand for things like assets, hence the reason why we have asset bubbles. What happened in the last two to three years in asset prices was not normal. The stock market rising at the rate that it did, cap rates plummeting on things like storage and going at CO, money was just trying to find somewhere to go and it was buying up everything that it could. It was just so easy. There was so much of it. And as that money kept going and more and more kept going into the economy, then all of a sudden people went back outside. They started buying things, right? Everybody had had their triple shots and then they found out that that didn't matter either. So it didn't matter if you were spreading COVID or not. And everybody basically overnight said, man, COVID doesn't matter and moved on. And they started to do all the economic activities that they were doing prior, right when all this money had been in and that created an explosion of demand. So, of course, we have supply chain problems. We have never seen demand like this before. The amount of housing that was sold, the amount of cars, everything, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was out there. It flew off the shelves. People had the highest saving rates ever because they didn't lose their job. They couldn't lose their job. They were getting money from the government, but they weren't traveling because they were stuck in their homes. So savings went up. All the assets went up, stocks, houses. So everybody was rich. The moment COVID ended, what did they do? They partied and everybody partied. And that created inflation. So now we all have all this money, this money supply sloshing around everywhere. There's just demands chasing all of these goods and services. And they rise and they rise fast. And that, that rising pressure of goods and services, right, that needs to be calmed down. So when we previously saw this happen, the United States went off the gold standard, right? And it fundamentally changed the monetary system in the United States. 
deleveraging it off the dollar. And that created large swaths of money increases, money supply increases in the United States. And it, um, it really changed the way we worked with other countries, but it started to cause inflation. Money supply increased. We started seeing inflation and the Fed didn't get a hold of it. They honestly, they didn't really understand all the tools at their disposal. They didn't want to raise interest rates because that would crater the economy. So they thought maybe we can do this balancing act. And they tried a couple times and it didn't work. And then it didn't because they really didn't contract the money supply. Inflation kept going and got out of control very, very rapidly. And it started spiking uh, at levels never before seen. And we were on the cusps, or some people may say it was hyperinflation, but we were definitely on the cusps of it. And in walked the uh, incredibly good-looking, tall, bald man, uh, Paul Volcker. And uh, this huge, bald guy that's just a stud. He's my favorite uh, Fed chair. Um, he basically said, listen, Carter, I'm going to do what I got to do. And it's, we're going to let the market work how the market should be working. And he let interest rates go all the way up to 18%. And that cratered the economy, it cratered Carter, and it cratered inflation. And it was at that point that the United States declared, we have solved inflation. We figured it out. We now know how to stop inflation. Now, this you have to understand, this is really important because like Bernanke, when the Great Recession came about and we had a mass collapse of the financial system, particularly in the banking from a long-term debt cycle, Ben Bernanke was a scholar of the Great Depression. And he said, we've seen this and I know what's gonna happen. And during the Great Depression, the country didn't step in when they should have. They did not uh, fortify the banks. They did not get money in the economy. They didn't stabilize the run and they didn't stop assets from cratering and cause deflation. He was bound and determined to not let that happen on his dime. It's actually very interesting that one of the foremost scholars on the Great Depression stopped the second one. Now, there were a lot of bad things that came from that as well that we've never seen before because we didn't do that originally. And we are still living in the aftermath of that. In fact, that's one of the reasons we have inflation. The amount of money, the asset surges, this has been going on for a long time in our economy. And remember, COVID happened right when the economy was booming. I mean, we had had you know, basically a stagnation of work, income, everything else like that, all the way up until, you know, 2016. Then we liberated a lot of the markets, we opened things up, and we had all this money in this backlog, the economy went on a tear. And it was then when we had COVID. So we had, we'd already gotten to a point where people were feeling better than they'd ever felt. There was lots of money already. COVID happened, and in a very short period of time, they shut the economy down and then tried to stabilize it because they know you have to have a working economy. And frankly, it was a complete overreaction. Uh, that's an understatement. The amount of money that they poured on top of pouring the money on bloated 
our overall balance sheet for our country to levels never seen before. And after now decade plus of just mass spending, we have inflation. And like Bernanke, Powell does not want to repeat the past. And he remembers what happened. He remembers when the Fed didn't grab the bull by the horns and they didn't stop inflation when they should have. It took Paul Volcker coming in and going to 18% interest rates, which he does not want to do. So he made it very clear, the priority is not the economy. Meaning, to save the economy, we're going to have to hurt it. And in order to do that, the only way to combat inflation, because inflation is caused by money supply, is we got to get rid of the money. So how do you get rid of money? Debt is money. Money is debt. There is no difference at all. None whatsoever. The price of money is dictated by the price of debt. So when you increase interest rates, money stops flowing into the economy. So you increase interest rates, you stop the borrowing, the lending, you stop the buying. And the money supply starts to contract. Well, they did this. But yet inflation kept going up. In fact, they did it multiple times. And inflation kept going up. We are now above 8% and it looks like it's still rising. This is not what the markets wanted to hear. And the markets fell a thousand points. Um, obviously, the biggest fear is what Powell was saying, this isn't over. And it's not going to be. And he, we are committed to stop this. And I, I frankly, I loved it. Um, I don't love what's happening. I don't love the reaction. And it's, we can dive into a lot of that. It's not good. And it's not going to be good for normal Americans. But inflation is a tax on the people that cannot bear it. It hurts the most sensitive. It hurts the most vulnerable people in our society. It is the most egregious tax on lower income families that they've ever had. Uh, so you're creating mass instability and you are really hurting people, like really hurting people. We're talking about food. We're talking about gas to get to work. And all these people that say, well, if you had a Tesla, you wouldn't worry about it. And they act like it's not that important. And they act like it's not this big of a deal. It is because they are so absolutely removed from the reality of a normal American life that it makes me want to vomit. And it's really hard to see that. Now, what I liked, though, about Powell's statement was it was honest. He didn't beat around the bush. And he was, it felt like he was apologizing. Like, hey, guys, this is going to hurt. And that is what the market took. The market said, whoa, you're, you don't believe that this is over. In fact, it almost sounds like you think it's going to get worse. And so the market cratered. Now, I think in the long run, this is a very, very good thing, right? We do not want the Volcker situation and the Carter situation. Now, in the short run, though, it will be painful. 
And um, we hope what will happen is one of the reason Pal has a narrative like this is it's just not the actual cost of money, but it's the market sentiment. Meaning by him saying that, just saying that, he stops spending. He says that and CFOs walk into the CEO's office and say, we need to make cutbacks. Powell openly said that the labor market's going to get hit, meaning Powell knows unemployment is going to start to rise because of that. Businesses are going to start cutting. Now, you know how that this has nothing to really do with supply chains, although supply chains do, they matter, and they're crippled. And we've learned something tragically in the United States that when we went to move to the world is flat scenario and we just opened our supply chains up, we acted in this post-World War II environment like nothing like that would ever happen again. That somehow the whole world was just going to remain stable. So we could outsource everything and we don't need to do anything. Well, not anything, but there's a lot of things that we don't need to do anymore. So we'll just outsource it to Russia. I mean, Germany's at a 10% inflation rate. I, Russia flips a switch and Europe doesn't have power. They are so vulnerable, it's crazy. That's why they're all massively increasing their military spending. The world being flat created a lot of economic stability and a lot of economic success. When I say the world is flat, all we're referring to is an economic, uh, instead of holding everything in, so prior to um, uh, the world wars, right, everything that America used pretty much came from America. You know, it was a vast majority. After that, we started outsourcing and all the countries became very interconnected and our supply chains and technologies were dependent on each other. That works when things are stable. When things are not, it wrecks havoc though, because you don't have it anymore. I mean, Taiwan makes all the chips that we use in everything, including recording this and everything else, your car. If China takes over Taiwan, we lose all electronic capabilities, basically. Um, these are very dangerous and bad things. So yes, supply chains matter. And yes, they're screwed up. But does increasing rates help supply chain? No, it doesn't. In fact, it makes it worse. Why? Because the companies can't borrow money to reinvest to build out the supply chain. They no longer can hire employees. Demand is falling. So supply chains don't get better. They get worse. So why, if it was due to supply chains, would they be ruining the capabilities of the supply chains to strengthen? Well, it's because it really doesn't have that much to do with supply chains. It has to do with the money supply. And the money supply, you take care of that, everything else will take care of. Because at the end of the day, if the supply chain isn't that great, well, it doesn't matter if there's no demand. The supply chain works amazingly if you cut demand in half. And that's the problem. Supply chains in COVID were fractured. And then as wars broke out for the first time that we've ever seen major countries go to war since World War II, 
That all of a sudden created lots more problems while we had huge demand for gas and everything else. Interest rates rising will cut demand. It will ease those supply chains. Now, none of this is good, right? None of this is good, but it is a reality of the situation and you need to understand it. The whole point of what's going on in the economy is to reduce that money supply. Now, how does that affect you and what does that mean for us in investing and how do we approach this? That's more of the important question to me. Understanding what's actually happening is important because we need to understand, like we talked about before, incentives. Because if you know what the incentives are, you can predict the future. I think Warren Buffett said something like that. I don't know. Somebody smarter than me. The point is, if I know the incentives, I know what people are going to do. Now, when we look at the United States as a whole and what the government's doing, they just started, they just instituted a trillion dollar package, you know, it's of the um, Inflation Reduction Act. It has nothing to do with inflation. Nothing at all. At all. There's, n there's nothing that's going in there to try to stop inflation. They just gave it that name because I think they just wanted people to feel better. Um, politicians, right. Uh, so they are going to be, of course, spending money. In fact, California started sending people money uh, to help them ward off inflation. Uh, politicians buy love. And they think short term, both sides they're all horrible because their incentives are not to help out over the long term. Their incentives are we have midterm elections and I want to get reelected. I want to win. I want my pensions. I want this. I have to do it because I believe in my cause so much that if I don't win, it's bad for the, uh, the country. Well, in reality, if you took all of them, got rid of all of them, and replace them all, it'd actually probably be better for the country. But I'm not going to go there. The fact of the matter is they are doing things in the short term to try to get people to feel better to get reelected. All of them. Those don't correlate in long-term economic processes. That's the problem with the economy and politics. They don't work on the same time frame. And they don't have the same incentives. My incentive and your incentive is totally different than a politician's incentive. We have to invest for the long term, even in short term crises that they cause, which they did. We would not be in this case if we did not have the untethered spending through COVID. Now, I had some individuals that say, well, AJ, what were they supposed to do? There's a lot of things that they could have done. First of all, their budgets, 50% of it really had very little to do with you and COVID. So you could eliminate so much. We can't, and it, it, it shouldn't be just given for these people to do anything, but it's the situation we're in. So the next thing that they've done over the last month is they have now um, given student loan forgiveness. I think that's how they, they, they talk about it. They're erasing student loan debt. Now, I'm not gonna really talk about here if student debt, forgiving is a problem, but I am going to frame it this way. You don't, you're not paying off somebody's debt. You're not forgiving debt. That's not what's happening. You are taking debt from one person 
and giving it to another. Whether you agree with that or not is re that's just beside the point. It doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is you're giving one person, you're taking debt from one and you're giving it to somebody else. That's all they're doing. They're moving debt from here to here. So they're taking it out of the individual's hands and they're putting it on the taxpayer's hands. Okay. They're not getting rid of it. It's not going away, right? They are. And really what they are, when all said and done, whether you agree with it or not, buying votes. They're buying votes. Now, we see this as midterm elections come. And these are the big economic changes that we are beginning to see. The handouts, the all this is playing out. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? And how do we play within this environment? First of all, you have to understand that I have a top-down approach, meaning I look at assets and I look at things in two sides, two departments. We'll, we'll walk through this here. So if I know that inflation right, is going to stay high, and that means that interest rates are going to stay high, and I'm trying to look at opportunity, first of all, recessions are not all the same. They're not felt all the same. In 2001, when the bubble popped that was the dot-com bubble, California was devastated. In that same period of time, many economies just kept chugging along. They grew. They didn't see job loss. Nothing, right? Now, there was New York and a lot of other economies were totally devastated. In most economies, the problem isn't evenly played. That was a 2008 scenario where all assets fell. Yes, stock markets all fall at the same time, of course, right? Because they're correlated assets. But in general, the impact on average Americans is not felt the same. It's felt very different based upon region, economic situation, employment, those kind of things. So I need to understand how those decisions up top will affect directly down to locations, investments, and assets that I'm looking at, not just broad base. And when you brush it with a broad base, you're just shooting yourself in the foot because you're like, recession, I'm not going to do anything. Well, then of course you say recession, I'm not going to do anything. But then after the recession, you always say, you know, you're going to say, oh, I'll take action when prices go down or I'll, I'll start investing when it gets good. Well, investing gets good when it's bad. So you got to figure out how to work within the reality of the situation. You take that and I look down. So if I say interest rates are going to remain high, I'm looking at a storage facility, whatever it may be. There's two sides of every asset. Okay. This is important because nobody talks about it. You have the asset market. The asset market is the trading, the buying and selling of good of that typical asset, whatever it is, right? It's a security. So a stock, a storage facility, a house, right? It, whatever that investment structure is. The other side of the market, though, is the asset itself. So let me put it like this. I go out and I buy a commercial asset. I have tenants in there that are all long-term good health tenants. They have a long-term lease. There's no problem at all. Cash flow is going and I'm going to get a 5% increase on those lease terms every single year. Just as an example, right? Now, commercial real estate is traded on a cap rate, meaning we value things on a cap rate. A cap rate is an expression of a return. 
the return expression is if I put them, if I buy this for a million dollars, they don't include debt. So take that out of the equation and it makes a hundred thousand dollars. That's a 10 cap or a 10% return. Now, when assets get really expensive and lots of people want them, cap rates go down because of demand so high returns for that asset paying at that price go down. If you've heard me talk about cap rates, you know all the problems that I have because how manipulated it is, but forget it. We're using a very simple uh, a description here. That commercial asset with long-term leases, 5% increases. Now we have the front end, that asset market. Let's say that it goes from a four cap to an eight cap. That means you literally cut that value right in, in, in half. That is a huge move. You're basically saying that I am willing on that scenario, right, to get far, far, uh, pay far, far less, half of what I was willing to pay prior. That's a ginormous move. Well, is that because though the asset itself, the market, which is the customer in or working with the asset or the business, is that because it fundamentally changed? No, it's not. It's because the, the, uh, it's because the things that affect the assets market, meaning the debt interest rates, what somebody could buy the asset for and the debt payments that changed and money is leaving the economy. So there's less buyers. That's it. But those economics may have nothing to do with the other market of the asset Two markets. This is how you get good deals because what's affecting the buyers and the sellers may not be a affecting the actual asset. So the four cap to eight cap just means I'm getting a higher return to buy the same thing with the exact same economics, the exact same returns. And I'm not actually in any more danger on the asset. But people don't look at it like that. What they see is the asset that was worth a million is now only worth 500,000. And that's scary because it lost value. But did it? In some cases, yeah, it does. But in lots of cases, it doesn't. This is the exact strategy that we used through multiple recessions to buy up assets that their individual market, the economics of it were strong. But the front side, the buying and the selling market was in a lot of fear and scared and buyers were running away and it lost value. I don't care about that value at all. I just care about the value of the asset. The price is what I'm willing or not willing to pay, but just because there's a price fluctuation here, it doesn't necessarily mean that the market of the asset has been in any way, shape or form compromised. This is opportunity and there's a lot of it. Now, there's a lot of things that may go into it. And one of the most important things that I look for is the interest rate that affect the buying and the selling market. Does that affect the revenue side of the market? So the asset, is it interest rates going to affect the, um, the tenants? Is it going to affect the customers, right? How will that asset be affected by the same things that are changing the prices, the asset prices, because we were an asset bubble that's coming down. Um, some assets, yes, it does, right? It dramatically affects it. Well, other ones, not so much. Your job is to understand that impact internally. How do you do that? You look at the individual customer. 
Why are they buying? Why are they using the asset? Inflation's rising at 8%. The cost of the money's going up. They're going to be impacted. Is this something that impacts them to utilize the asset or not? In lots of cases, it may be that they use it more, increasing the intrinsic value while the extrinsic value is lowering or the price. This, guys, is the magic of investing. There's two sides of it. But most people only view an asset as a price, but price doesn't equal value. So you can work within these realms and these scary times by segmenting out what's happening into the two different parts. Analyze one, understand it, take advantage of the other. And when you look at it that way, the next part is over the long term, it always comes back. There's always an equilibrium. ETM, or efficient market theory, is BS in the short run, but it's kind of gospel in the long run. What that means is that efficient market theory states that the price of any asset is always right because an efficient market has buyers and sellers and they are pricing those assets. So it is. Now, this is a very big theme that um, was prevalent and schools taught for a long time. And a lot of people still believe it and teach it. The problem, though, is we know markets are completely inefficient in the short term. Why? Because a lot of it is dictated by governments and everything, which are completely inefficient. But over the long term, markets correct themselves. So that means I can buy that asset and over time, I'm going to just keep making money. It's good. It's safe. And then eventually, the market will price it back down. And that pricing of the market, that other market, the buying and selling, coming back down from an eight cap to a four cap, just doubled my money. And even though the asset didn't change, nothing happened. So make sure that you are being wise in these situations, that you are understanding in a time where the government has a lot of power over the assets, the buying and selling is a good. But two, understand that's generally just short. Anyone that listens to this podcast, of course, knows we have been talking about that for a while. And when you look at it, in fact, well, we bet tens of millions on that before it ever occurred. Uh, we were buying up with specifically an investing strategy focused around inflation for starting last fall when there was no inflation because of the incentives and what was happening. We did the same thing in 2008 when there was a huge discrepancy amongst cash-based businesses and physical businesses, which created a weird world where you could trade cash-based businesses for physical assets and yet you wouldn't get a lower return. Meaning, I could get rid of a risky, risky business that didn't have stable cash flows and buy a super safe one that had stable cash flows, but the return didn't change. Economically speaking, that's never supposed to happen. It was literally a once in a lifetime thing. And the reason was, was because fear and not understanding drove the actions of everyone. So the market wasn't efficient. That was quickly recorrected, right? It well, not quickly. It actually took years for that to recorrect, uh, about five years. But eventually, it did. Um, but when you look at these things, you need to take that long-term view. But you have to buy and you have to create investing structures that allow these short-term 
fluctuations, inconsistencies, right, and inefficiencies to occur in the marketplace. Because you don't know what Powell's going to say. You don't know what the government's going to do. It's all out of your control. Don't try to invest around it. Don't make investing strategies around it, right? Because these people openly admit they don't know what they're doing. And it's not like they should. This There's not a book, right? Now, of course, some of it's common sense, which I have a problem with. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of these people are trying to figure it out as they go. That I understand. Powell openly admits he doesn't even know if what they're doing will stop inflation. So we have to be prepared for actions that may or may not occur. We best do that by making sure we're not event-based in Vesting, meaning there's an event in which we have to take place in order to get returns. That means you're playing on the front side of the market, the buying and the selling. If that's the market where you make your money, it's times like these that are going to hurt and hurt bad. Unfortunately, that's the vast majority of everyone. So the vast majority, 99%, that's how they view investing. And that's how they play the game. That is a terrible terrible way to go about it. All right, everybody. It's been a crazy week. A lot of stuff has happened within the economy, the government's reaction. Um, to give you a synopsis and our overall feeling moving forward, we believe that inflation, as we have been saying for a while, will remain high. Um, we believe that the government's doing the right things, even though they have to do the right things because they did the wrong things. And by government, I mean the Fed. And so they're trying to fix their own problem that they created. Now, through that, we don't know if interest rates will go higher. We don't know how much higher inflation will go. But we do know it doesn't. this isn't an easy fix. fix. It's not a light switch. The amount of money in the economy that they put in was staggering. And it's not simply as easy to get it out. These are times that create mass unrest. We are still at the tail end of a long-term cycle, a very long-term debt cycle that started clear back in 2008. We're still seeing the effects and the repercussions of it. It's not over. The economic time frame does not work how we want it to. It's combined of individual actions, infrastructure, and things that have been built for decades and decades and decades. You shouldn't expect those things to turn around on a dime. Now, when there's major changes, there's major social upheaval. There's lunacy. And we live in a time of lunacy where logic has gone out the window. Don't let it consume you. You have to rise above it you have to think clearly, and you need to move forward when others can't. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoy this, and I'll see you next time.